0: I am so excited to see the second service at Lake Hills Church this morning. That's pretty cool. For those of you who are scoring at home, I believe, let's see, today is February 21st. So next week will be the 28th, then the 7th, then the 14th. So we're three weeks away. So that we've, been, we've been at one service or all online for 49 weeks. Yay, God. It's good to be back. Good to be back. Great. So glad y'all are here. Everybody, how happy were you to sleep in this morning and come to the second service? That's a, that's a blessing in and of itself. That's an awesome thing. Hey, real quick before we dive into the message, I want to make sure that you're aware of something that we all get to be a part of in one way, shape, or form, or another, And that is next Saturday's Fearless Mom Conference coming up. We are so excited about this weekend. It's going to be, yeah, it's going to be absolutely phenomenal. I I get to be married to the original OG Fearless Mom, Julie Richard. And so I've kind of got a front row seat for this year's festivities. Now, this year's conference is all online. There will be a a small uh, studio audience here in the room. But we are so excited about what God's going to do In and through this conference, in the lives of so many moms, literally around the country, and so I'm going to ask you to be praying for that. If you are a mom or you know a mom who's not yet signed up, they can still register to be a part of it. It's going to be absolutely phenomenal. It's an incredible thing, and and that's I'm obviously I'm biased, but that doesn't mean I'm wrong. You know what I'm saying? So I'm just telling you, it's, it's going to be really, really something very, very special. Also. As I said, whoo, what a year this past week has been. I mean, my goodness, it is so great to see y'all in here, and for those of you who are online, we're thrilled that we can stay connected in this way until you can be back in the room with us, but I think we would all agree, everybody just kind of say, man, I'm telling you, it's been absolutely unbelievable. I, I'm one of these people, I'm kind of a weather nerd. I, I love weather. I, I'm so cool that I have a weather station in my house. That's how cool I am. I walked over to that thing a couple of days this week and I, when I got up in the morning, I went to see the temperature and it said five degrees. I said out loud, nope. I do not receive that. I, listen, I grew up in Houston. I've lived in Austin now for the better part of, what, 24 years or so? I mean, we don't do this kind of nonsense. As Mike said, leave that to the Canadians or people in Dallas, not here. So it's just been absolutely amazing. And I have to tell you something too. You know, it's been amazing to see the way Texas, and in particular Austin, has rallied together to help each other out during this scene. Hasn't been incredible to see how many people have stepped up and have helped out and are making a difference in people's lives. It's just kind of been, just like, yeah, that's who we are. That's what we do. Now, we are very, very engaged in the recovery process. We've got a lot of things going on, a lot of ways to connect. On our website, you can go to lhc.org. If you need help, there's a button there for you. If you want to give help, there's a way for you to do that too. All of these things are going to be continuing for the weeks to come. But I got to tell you, there's a part of me while we we grieve with those who are struggling and we're doing everything we can to help. At the same time, I kind of start to get a little bit excited. And I'll tell you why. Please understand this. It's because this is our moment. This is when, as the church, we get to go be the church. We get to do what we're supposed to do and be the hands and the feet of Christ and come alongside people who are hurting, people who are struggling, and uh, I, I I get a little fired up about that, so it's exciting. I also think there's somebody that you need to know the name of. Now, a lot of you know the name of Pastor Ryan Kelsheimer. Pastor Ryan has been on our staff here since Moses was a baby, and uh, is just an incredible, incredible part of our team and our family. But there's another guy that works with Ryan that some of you may not know. He's not quite as, hadn't been around quite as long. His name is Michael Steele. Michael Steele. Now, we have a huge Michael Steele fan in the room. It's his bride, okay, I get, that's good. Now, Michael, along with Ryan, are in charge. They take care of all of our facilities and all of our campus and all of our grounds, And. Our our facilities weathered the last week unbelievably, largely because of Michael Steele and Ryan Kelsheimer, so I wanna tell them thank you so much. They did an incredible, incredible job, and uh, that's why we could gather together today, so I'm very, very grateful to them. It hit me, this last week has really been an incredible stress test, hasn't it? I don't mean like we've all been stressed, but we have been stressed. Let me ask you a question. Has anybody at one point this week decided just temporarily that you don't like somebody you live with? Let me just see a show <laughs> of hands. Look, a bunch of cowards aren't even raising your hand. I know I'm not the only one. I know Julie's not the only one. But when I say it's been a stress test, it's what I'm talking about. If you've ever done like a medical stress test where they're checking the health of your heart and they, they strap you up to all the monitors and then they put you on a on a treadmill and you go like, this is pretty nice. We're just going to take a little stroll. And then slowly over time, they increase the elevation of the treadmill and the pace of the treadmill. And so then you're kind of walking a little bit faster and your, your heartbeat starts going a little bit more and you're watching the little beeper thing go there. And, and this, this stress test goes until you can't go anymore. And you she's like, turn it off, turn it <laughs> off. That's kind of how I felt this past week with the snow and the ice. I was like, just turn it off. Somebody hit the button. But it has been an incredible stress test. Every single one of us, whether we have just been through the snowpocalypse that we've just finished or you've done the medical stress test, we all understand the spiritual stress test that is temptation. We we all understand what it's like to be tempted to to step into the grip, to to the lure of, of sin. Because this is something that you're not supposed to say in church, but I'm just going to say it out loud because I think it's true. How many of you know that sometimes sin is fun? Can I just see it showing? If you know sometimes, like you've not in your life, but other people that you've heard about. Okay, now more hands are going up all over the room. Thank you. Sometimes sin can be fun for a season, for a season. Now, for the last few weeks, we've been in this series called In the Beginning, this teaching series that has kind of taken a deep dive on Genesis chapters one, two, and three. As we've looked at what God designed, what God desires for his creation, and today we're kind of spurring the horse to the barn in Genesis chapter three, where we see the reality of sin has crept into the human experience, and we've seen so far, what happened when Adam and Eve succumbed to temptation? But today we're going to take the last part of chapter three and really get into what goes on when God shows up on the other side of sin. What is it that happened when God steps into the aftermath, the consequences? Of this sin. Now, just to bring you up to speed, this is where we were when we left off a couple of weeks ago before everything kind of went haywire with the weather. Genesis chapter 3, verses 10 through 11, Adam and Eve have eaten from the tree that God told them not to eat from. The Bible says that they realized they were naked, they were ashamed, and then God comes into the Garden of Eden in the cool of the evening looking for them. And he says, where are you? And then this is how Adam replied. Genesis chapter three, verse 10. It says, he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Verse 11, who told you that you were naked, the Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? Now, I would suggest to you that Genesis chapter three, verse 10, is the most tragic verse in the whole Bible. I would challenge you to find a verse more tragic than Adam and Eve hiding from God, hiding from the one who gave them life, hiding from the one who gave them everything they would ever need for a fulfilled, whole, shalom kind of life, and they were hiding from him. They were hiding from them in their guilt and in their shame But I love the fact that God says, where are you? That that God came into the garden looking for them, pursuing them, knowing, by the way, full well, exactly what was going on. Just never forget that that's who God is. Now, throughout this series, we've said that there are five things that we have to remember about God when we read the Bible, whenever we relate to God personally and relationally, but especially when we read a passage of scripture that can be tough, to digest. There are parts of the Bible that, that are just frankly kinda hard. There, there are parts where we all kinda recoil and go, I, I don't know if I really like that. We all love doing to others you know, and the Good Samaritan and love and forgiveness and strawberry fields forever, but there are parts of scripture that are tough to handle. So I wanna just quickly remind you of the five things that we need to always keep in mind before we dive into one of those particular passages today. Number one, the fact of the matter is that God is God and we are not. God is God and we are not. In other words, God is sovereign. He is large and in charge of everything. That's number one. Number two, God is good. God is good all the time, period. Number three, God is just, He is always just. So whenever God issues a verdict or or makes a judgment call on someone's life or someone's behavior, it is always fair and just. There is never a time that God is, quote, unquote, unfair. How many of you are the oldest child in your family of origin? Can I see a show of hands? You've got younger brothers and sisters. I do. Man, man. I don't know what happened between when I was born and when my younger brothers were born, but my parents got a lot more lax with that second wave of children. You know what I'm talking about? If you're the oldest, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You had the, younger, you had the earlier curfew, didn't you? And then the, the, and then the more kids they have, the more relaxed they get over time. It's kind of like, you be home by 10.30. You be home by tomorrow at lunch. That's kind of how it happens. And as the oldest, you always understand, like intuitively, you're like, that's not fair. fair. That's not fair. Man, we we heard that all the time from Emily where Joseph was concerned growing up in our household. I said, Emily, honey, sweetheart, fair is what you pay to ride the bus. That is not anything that has anything to do with anything in this world. Fair, just you can let that ship sail in your life. But God, God is always fair. He is always just. Number four, God is transcendent. God is transcendent. That means that he is holy and set apart from you and from me. He's morally flawless, and so he's transcendent and can have no connection and no relationship with sin whatsoever. And number five, Keeping in mind all of the first four, never forget number five because it's the most important. God is love. Whatever you want to believe about God, start with the fact that God is love. Always has been, always will be. And so these five things we have to keep front of mind as we dive into the scripture. When God realizes that Adam and Eve have sinned, or When God realizes that you and I have sinned, that the response is is very, very similar, and we're going to see some, some very, very real parallels between what Adam and Eve experienced and what we experience in the here and the now. Look at what happened in Genesis 3, looking at verses 16 through 19. Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. Good times. Good, good times. You know, I gotta tell you, we're gonna come back to this verse in just a second, but I really don't want to, or I didn't want to, before I started studying and preparing for this message. This was one of those verses, I was kind of like, God, if you could just let this cup pass from me and not have to teach this. But then I remembered the five things about God. And we'll come back to this in just a second, but this is what's going on. Verse 17, to the man he said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust and to dust you will return. Now here's something we've got to remember. When, when I read Genesis chapter three, I want to ask, I, I, want to, I want to be like Brian Gumbel used to do in, in interviews. I'm like, Why? 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 First of all, Have you ever wondered this question? Why why did God wire everything up to where we could have sinned? Have you ever thought about that? Why, Why didn't he just make us where we couldn't have messed up? Wouldn't have that been so much simpler? If he created us for relationship, why did he give us the capacity to mess up the relationship? Well, we've just answered our own question. You see... Relationship, by its very definition, requires an act of the will. It it requires choice. You have to be able to choose to engage in a relationship for it to be an actual relationship. You you can't make somebody love you, you can't make somebody like you. You, you You have to convey that you love them. You have to be Lovable, You have to be likable for them to choose to like you back. Man, we learned this as parents. You know, by the grace of God, Julie and I have got now four kids. We started with two of our own, then we've got two bonus daughters that have come along that we didn't have to change a diaper or pay for college. Good deal if you can get it. <laughs> but I remember when Emily and Joe were very, very young, there were multiple days I did not like my children. Any other parent ever been there? Ever been there where you just don't like your kids? Thank you for your honesty. Other parents in the room who don't raise their hands, you're lying in church. (laughs) I remember Emily, man, she's so overtly strong-willed. Man, she's just, I mean, strong as steel. I was like, (laughs) I love her unconditionally. I would take a bullet for her, but if she could graduate early, that'd be great. Joseph, by the same token, every bit as strong as his sister, just not as overtly strong. He just just hid it a little bit more. He was more of that kind of hidden, stubborn, strong. How many of you parents have a hidden, stubborn, strong child? You know what I'm talking about. (laughs) What a unique blessing. So there are those days as a parent, you have to choose to love them even though you don't like them. By the same token, when God created us for relationship, we had to have the choice to love him back. If we don't have that choice, it's not a relationship. We're, we're automatons. He's just pulling the strings of marionettes in the world. But he said, no, I'm going I'm to give you the choice to love me back. I'm going to give you the choice to trust me more than you trust yourself. I'm going to give you the choice to rebel against my sovereignty, my authority, my perfect love, the life I've created you for. And so that's why this option was even given to us. You see, the Bible, the Bible is much more focused on the consequences and the cure of the fall than the causes of the fall. The Bible's more concerned with the consequences and the cure for the fall of humanity than it is the cause of the fall. The cause is just our free will. We all choose to rebel against God's sovereignty, against his authority. Adam and Eve were just the first ones. We have now inherited this this spiritual DNA and the consequences of the fall that Adam and Eve experienced are consequences that all of us can connect with and can identify in our own lives. The first consequence is shame. Shame is a consequence of sin. The Bible says that when Adam and Eve took the fruit that God told them not to take, they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. Where where husband and wife had been completely united, one flesh, now they were ashamed of their nakedness. Number two, Consequence of the fall, fear and anxiety. Fear and anxiety were never part of God's original plan. We've already kind of touched on it. They hid from the Lord God. They hid from God. Think about Jonah. Remember Jonah, God told him to go to Nineveh to prophesy and to tell them to repent and turn to God. And Jonah said, "Mm -mm, not doing it, don't wanna do it went the other direction, tried to get on a ship going 180 degrees in the other direction from Nineveh, hiding from God. Just like Adam and Eve, just like Jonah, you and I can't hide from God. He knows everything about everything that you've ever thought, said, or done. This this fear and anxiety. Number three, isolation, isolation. When God said, "Have you eaten from the tree that I told you not to eat?" What did Adam do? This was, this was so pitiful, so typical male. So, what a guy! He goes, "It was the woman you gave me. It was the woman's fault. Not only the woman. God, remember, you gave her to me. You, had, if you, it was really and truly, God, this isn't about me. If you hadn't given me that woman, we wouldn't be in the fix we're in. Is that sad?" Because remember when God presented Eve to Adam at first, Adam was like, yes, sir. Woo, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. This is my wife. Now, all of a sudden, she's the woman God gave me. That's funnier than you're giving it credit for. (laughs) The point is, he's abdicating responsibility. He's saying, this isn't my fault. I I mean, uh." Eve does the same thing. She goes, well, it wasn't my fault. The serpent, serpent tricked me. They were hiding from this, and and it leads to this this isolation where husband and wife were united. Now they're isolated from one another. Number four is conflict. Serpent versus the woman. God says that there will be this eternal struggle between the serpent and the woman and their offspring. There's this, this conflict between the woman and the man. Number five, in pain you will give birth. Number five is pain. This pain is multiplied because of their sin. Number six, misplaced desire. Misplaced desire. In the original language, when God says, your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you, what he's saying is that, Eve, you will look for fulfillment in someone or something other than me. You were created to find fulfillment in God, but now you will look for fulfillment in your husband, in a relationship, in other people, or in other things. Ultimately, this is a description of idolatry. God's saying, you're gonna look fulfillment in places other than me. So I think that helps us to understand what God meant when he said this. Number seven, nature is cursed. Nature is cursed, God said to Adam, the ground is cursed because of you. In the New Testament, the book of Romans says that all of creation groans as in the pains of childbirth, waiting for the day of Christ's return. There's this this constant, sin has even infected the created order. Number eight, struggle. You You will struggle to scratch out a living from the ground. And then number nine, is death. To dust, you will return. The dust that you were formed from is the dust that you will return to. Death is a part of the curse of the fall. Romans chapter three, verse 23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Elsewhere in Romans, it says that the wages of sin is death. The compensation, the payment for sin is always death. Now, This is Genesis 3, but it could just as easily be Austin 2021. We all understand the consequences of sin. We've all experienced isolation. We've all experienced fear and anxiety because of our sin, or maybe someone else's, or maybe because of a fallen, broken world that we live in with fallen, broken people who do fallen, broken things. but but we understand this from our own experience. But I think there's a a deeper awareness, there's a deeper understanding that that God has for us here. And and I have to tell you you, you can learn something from anyone. You know where I learned this deeper thing that I'm about to share with you? I learned this from Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods taught this to me, not personally or directly, But I learned this from Tiger Woods. And and as as I tell you this reality, I I want you to know that I look at the life of Tiger Woods and say, there but for the grace of God go I. I, Any one of us could, could chase some of the same things that Tiger hopefully and prayerfully used to be chasing. But I remember when the news broke that Tiger had wrecked his Escalade and he and his wife were definitely in the throes of a very real conflict. And over the next days and weeks, the details started to leak out that, and Tiger admitted himself that he had been unfaithful and had pursued a lifestyle that was not consistent with a married man and a father and who he wanted to be and who he had hoped to be. And, and I remember watching this story unfold. And I thought, man, this is Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods. He he was married to, by all accounts, a a beautiful woman, a, a woman who loved him and wanted to be his wife. He had two beautiful children. He was literally at the pinnacle of his profession. Nobody on the planet played golf better than Tiger Woods. He was wealthy beyond belief. His great, 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 great grandchildren couldn't spend everything that he had already earned. And I thought the following. How brokenhearted must he be? And by brokenhearted, I don't mean sad. I mean that there was something broken in Tiger's heart that made him think that living that kind of life, making those kind of choices would bring him any semblance of fulfillment or satisfaction. There had to be something broken. And then God laid something on my on my mind, and on my heart that, that changed everything for me. Brokenness is the best description of sin that there is. Sin is just brokenness. It's less than what God created, what he designed and desires for us. You chase any sin long enough, if I chase any sin long enough, brokenness is where it leads every single time. No exception. Jordan B. Peterson is a clinical psychologist and a best-selling author and lecturer. And Peterson has studied the creation account in depth, has a fascinating series of lectures that you can watch And it's fascinating to me how Jordan Peterson studying the Genesis narrative brings his practice as a a psychologist together. And he said something in this lecture that I thought was fascinating. This is what Jordan Peterson said. He said, in all my years as a clinical psychologist, and this is something that really does terrify me, In all my years as a clinical psychologist, I have never seen anyone get away with anything ever at all, even once. That's a strong statement. And when I was listening to this lecture, I thought, whoa, 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 JB. Never anything ever at all, even once. And then I thought about my own life. You know, every time I chase a sin or or a distraction or an idol of some sort in, in my life, every single time it, it turns around to bite me. I, I thought about people that I've talked to a, as a pastor, people that I've talked to as a friend. And every single time you chase an idol, you chase a sin far enough, long enough, it will always turn around and bite you. And I thought, I, th- I, think, I think Peterson's on to something here. He, he goes on to say this. He says, you can't twist the fabric of reality without having it snap back. It doesn't work that way, and why would it? Because what are you going to do? Twist the fabric of reality? I don't think so. I think it's bigger than you. And one of the things that really tempts people is the idea that, well, I can get away with it. I hate to admit this to you. I've been there. Like I've I've done that. I'm thinking, well, I mean, I know, I know the principle, but I can get away with it. I'm special. You know what I want you to do right now? With a smile on your face, turn to your neighbor and say, I'm not that special. Some of you had real trouble saying that. But we do. We, we think we want to be, be special. Like, like God's law, like reality doesn't apply to me. This is just the way God has wired up the world. You can deny it, you can twist the fabric of reality, but it will snap back on you at some point. Just just give it time, every single time. And I thought, that's actually a great reminder just to remember I'm not that special. If I try to twist the fabric of reality, if I try to take the, the natural created order of God and, and twist it, it will snap back on me. I'm going to tell you, just since hearing that, I've been acting better. <laughs> I, I've made better choices. And I think all of us need to understand that what Tiger Woods has gone through could be any one of us in a second. Nobody is above the kind of choices that he has made or anyone else. There but for the grace of God goes every single one of us. If somebody ever says to you, I've got good news and bad news, Which one do you want to hear first? Go ahead and just say it out loud. Which one do you want to hear first? It's pretty much universal. Tell me the bad news so I know what I'm dealing with, but then give me the good. I I I want the, the good news. Look at how God responds to Adam and Eve and to you and to me. This is what the Bible says. In verse 20 of Genesis 3, then the man Adam named his wife Eve because she would be the mother of all who live. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. Then the Lord God said, look, the human beings have become like us, knowing both good and evil. What if they reach out, take fruit from the tree of life and eat it? Then they will live forever. So the Lord God banished them from the garden of Eden and he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. Now, because of the fall, because of the consequences of the fall, humanity lives in this in-between, where we still are created in the image of God, we are still created for a relationship with God, but we've got this sin problem, we've got these consequences that are always lurking at the door, and we're always wrestling with this in-between, this tension. And so God says, at some point, you will die. And it's even in his judgment that he gives grace. Because it's in death that we have the escape from the limbo in the grace of God. Because of the grace of God, we can find complete release and escape from the consequences of the fall because of the cure. And the cure is right there. The Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. God knew the shame that Adam and Eve were facing and fighting. God knows the shame that you and I carry. And he covers it. He covers our shame. Adam and Eve, they tried to do it on their own. They they put together these sad little, like, you know, loincloth and, and bikini of fig leaves. It's pitiful. I mean, the solid breeze blows by. That's out the window. But God, but God, God took animal skins and made covering for their shame. God, God knew exactly how to address the problem. And even in Genesis three, God is already thinking about Calvary. God is already thinking about Easter. Because when God, when God took those animal skins, the animals didn't give them up willingly. The, the animals had to be killed. There was blood shed so that Adam and Eve's shame could be covered. The ultimate covering of our sin is the blood of Jesus Christ. When there's covering of sin, there's always blood required. When God told Moses to institute the sacrificial system of the Old Testament and animals would be sacrificed and their blood sprinkled on the altar in the Holy of Holies for atonement, that was a thought back to Genesis chapter three, but more importantly, it was a foreshadowing of Calvary and what Christ did on the cross, what we celebrated in communion today when he gave his body and shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. Romans chapter three, verse 25. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. The shedding of his blood. The covering is the cure. The covering is the cure. This is what God has done for us. He has always been in the business of covering our shame and our guilt. Always. You remember the five things? Remember the five things we've got to remember about God? He's God and we're not. He's good. He's just. He's transcendent and he's holy. And he is love. So he is, he's transcendent and holy. That's mean, that means he's set apart, but he's not so apart that he doesn't also love us. For God so loved you that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him will never die, but will have eternal life beginning here and now. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. And in this moment, I just want to ask you the question. Have you chosen to follow Christ? Remember, every relationship requires a choice, an act of the will. You now know enough, you have enough information to enter into this relationship. Whether you're here in person or watching online, if you've never stepped into that relationship, we wanna give you the opportunity to do that right now. Just to pray, a prayer of beginning from your heart to God, silently just something like this. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I need you and I'm choosing to follow you, to trust you more than I trust myself. I confess my sin to you. I know that you already know it all, but I confess it to you in order to claim your forgiveness. And I will follow you from this moment forward. Jesus, I pray this prayer in your name. I wanna ask you just to remain with your heads bowed, eyes closed for a moment. If that's your prayer today, then this is the biggest moment of your life. And as a church, we get to, we wanna help with what's next. In just a moment, we'll kinda explain some of how that happens, but. Right now, I just want to ask you, if that was your prayer, as our heads are bowed for just another moment, would you just lift your hand? Just raise your hand up high over your head and hold it up for a moment. As a statement physically of the commitment spiritually that you just made. And know that as a church, we we want to come alongside, we want to be a family of faith with you and to you, and we celebrate that with you. As you put your hands down, we're going to put our hands together to tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.